0: welcome to chasing tomorrow podcast episode 113 this is going to be an awesome very very special episode the reason being i have one of my all-time favorite people great friends supporter creator just like uh, everything you could possibly say good about a person kelly sullivan walden on with us kelly has written 10 books oracle cards is a dream expert also known as the dream doctor uh, but just, you know, like one of these true spirit people in the world, you know. And I've had such a fun time creating with her and Dana, her partner, and a whole bunch of other people over the years. And I was realizing that, you know, while we talk about a lot of people who are creators, you know, maybe she's sort of at the foundation of that in my life. And so had to get her on. And I think you're all gonna love this episode. Remember. Don is with me. Don's going to start it off. Kelly, thanks for being with
1: us. I just want to say it's such a privilege, a pleasure, a deep, deep, deep honor to be with you, Joe, and to meet you, Don. Joe, you're someone who truly inspires me on a daily basis, and you have been for almost 10 years, nine years ish, right around that, eight or nine years and I, um, I can't say enough on a parallel plane. I know I'm not going to just wax poetic about how awesome you are. I don't know that that would be appropriate, but on a parallel plane, I am going on and on and on because you are one of those people that has me reach higher, do more, create more, and know that I, I can do more than I think I can. And with you in my on my court and in my on my team yeah. i keep going so so much of my productivity is i, I give you credit anyway Thank you. <laughs> thanks for having me on i like this well
2: kelly i i can tell you that that joe has been nothing but excited this since we talked about bringing you on and and everything that you just said about him he has echoed about you. Uh, so this is exciting for me as somebody that looks up to Joe so much in my life that I get a, you know, beyond with two masters of, of human and life performance today. So, um, this is, this is a treat for me as well. Um, and Mm -hmm. I like, and I, and I just want to start right from the beginning is that you have a lengthy list of things that you are an expert in. Joe just listed them off. You've written many books. You're a dream expert. How the heck does one get to where you are at today? Like talk talk us through uh, you know the life of Kelly that brought you to this point where you are where you are now.,
1: Whew. ok. well, i want to I want to just first say because I know most a a lot of the guests that you have on the show are performance athletes, high performance athletes. and and I am, not a high performance athlete necessarily. I, not at all. I mean, I'm. I like to jog. My I've been I've been a runner since I was a kid. My dad used to wake me up in the early morning and pretend he had a bugle and he'd say, "Get your ass out of bed." feet on the floor. Let's go. And, and, yes, dad. And mostly because I was afraid of letting him down. He was a police chief. He was not somebody you said no to. So I would get up and run hills and he would bark orders at me and I would do it. And then I did well in track and cross country. And I've been a jogger runner ever since. But I, but I think I, I stopped competing after high school because it used to just make me sick. I would get sick every every race. In fact, I almost didn't um, race my very last race because I was so stressed out and I'm glad I finished it. But um, I think I need to get over that. Maybe that's a a hurdle I'm going to get over as a result of being with you guys today. But I, I, as well, I've become what's known as a dream expert, which is a very strange and maybe some would say a dubious (laughs) title thing to be known for. I didn't seek to be a dream expert. It was something that I kind of backed into accidentally, but I'm, I'm proud of it. And I'm happy that I, that I've, that I've done this, but mostly um, sometimes I think people really go for what they want. And some people, they just have to do things ass backwards. And I think my life has been um, in many ways, a story of how do you make God laugh? You tell him your plans. So mostly (laughs) I try to not tell God my plans. I try to listen to what, the universe has in store for me. And I try to do that as best as I can. But going back to when I was a kid, I was I was really into dreams as a lot of kids are. Um, most little kids have have a pretty decent dream recall, and then they lose it over time. I just never really lost it. I had a, a period of time that I didn't value them. And that was probably one of the darker times of my life. And I got into therapy, got my dreams back, and I've never let go. And I've developed a a way of interpreting dreams that someone, actually many people, I became a certified clinical hypnotherapist almost 30 years ago, and I was told by a lot of my clients that they really enjoyed sharing their dreams with me because I didn't make them feel bad about themselves. I gave them the impression that they're, because I believe it, that our dreams are they're on our side and they're trying to help us course correct. They're trying to, they're not trying to point out where we're screwed up or what's wrong with us. They're trying to let us know how to, how to do better in our lives. So with that frame in mind, there's almost no dream. Anybody could tell me that they're going to leave the session feeling bad about themselves and, um, and I was invited to write a book about this. I got an agent and a publisher very accidentally. I was trying really hard to get a different book published. And my agent said, we're really not having any luck with this goddess book. But you always talk about dreams. And I really love hearing your take on dreams. Have you thought about writing a book about dreams? And it was like she was talking to a fish who'd been swimming in water her whole life. It's like, what are you talking about? What water? What swimming? I don't know. But... I I told Dana this is an interesting thing. I told Dana that I was given the opportunity to write a book proposal and get a deal with with you know possibly get a book deal and he said get the gig. It was one of those moments where everything got really quiet. There was a buzz in the air. I'd never written a book proposal. I'd never written a book before, but I was like get the gig. Okay. Okay, coach, I'm going in. And I got the gig, and it was with a big publisher, Warner Books. And the book ended up doing really well. And it's called I Had the Strangest Dream, the Dreamer's Dictionary for the 21st Century. And that sort of launched me into the next book and the next. And then I started doing a lot of media. My clients, I got filled up with clients that came to see me for dreams and requests for dreams, dream workshops. And And that kind of brings me up to, up to today for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of nuances we can talk about, but, but that's been my, my passion and my, my journey thus far.
0: You know, so what's interesting, Kelly, that anyone would actually ever think anything ill of it, because it is a pretty natural part of the human system, right? Yeah. We sleep, we process information all Mm -hmm. the time while we're sleeping sometimes we remember it, sometimes we don't. So something's going on. So the idea that you might try to help someone understand what's going on seems a little bit sort of sad. Some would even say that. But really, when we think about it, like, yeah, you're right. You know, some of us don't remember our dreams because we don't put any real effort into it. Do you, like, just for a second, give our audience just a little bit of help. Like, how should they think about dreams and then engaging them. And, and even if it was engaging you, but like, what's some good basics for people?
1: Oh, there's so many. That's a great question. Well, I'll I'll just give a few little factoids. So we spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming a third of our lives. So that's a big chunk. And most, for most of us, we Don't think anything about it. We only value what we do in our waking lives. Mm -hmm. When I became a hypnotherapist, I I learned that, um, according to the American Hypnosis Association, 12% of our mind's power is considered our logic, our reasoning, our rational thinking mind, which is what most of us consider our mind. That's what we mostly identify ourselves with. Whereas our subconscious dreaming mind, is 88% of our mind's power. And that's what most people typically just kind of shrug off and say, oh, that's a bunch of nonsense. But my, my perspective, and actually there's been some great research on this, even some research from Harvard years ago that said when it's clinically proven, when people remember a dream, even if they don't know what it means, even if it's not an elaborate dream, it could just be one little symbol, one little feeling, one little thought that that comes from the dream matter they in the waking state those people with that remembered dream tend to have better intuition better problem solving abilities they have a sense of confidence in their ability to navigate their lives so that's a lot that just with a remembered dream and now it's there's all kinds of research that says when you work on that dream, when you reflect on what might that dream be telling me, if there was if there was some 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 intelligence to that dream, what might that be? And by by even asking that question and then allowing something to surface, then that just takes our ability to navigate our lives up to another level. So um I like to think of the possibility of, of what what it would be to be human 2.0. I know you you guys are always pushing the envelope very much on the physical level, but I know that also is about the emotional and mental level. I, I heard on one of your podcasts, Joe, you were saying that the physical part of being an extreme athlete is the least part of it. It's mostly The like dealing with what the limit limitations of your mind and of your emotions? But it's like the physical part is like, I got this handled, I can keep on going. Yeah, I'm in pain. Yeah, I've got blisters. Yeah, I've got broken bones, (laughs) but but I can keep I can keep on going. But my my thought is, what if as a human 2.0 being, if we're all moving toward becoming better beings, better versions of ourselves, what would it be if we had access to our whole? Mind that not just the 12%, and not just every once in a while little bits of that 88% that's mostly dormant. But what if we access the whole of our of our capability, our consciousness? We've all had awakened moments where all of a sudden we have a eureka moment, like an aha. Mm-hmm. I think in those moments, our if we looked at our brain under a scan, we would see that there was a lot of activity firing. In our brains, and we're able to see things we couldn't see before. We're able to know things and see what's in our blind spot. I think our dreams are helping us to expedite our process of getting there. And there's a lot more I could say about science and um, and but let's stop for that for now. So
2: <laughs> so let's 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 take that that awake part of your life, um, two thirds mm-hmm. of your life, and then you said one third is while you're asleep. What what can we do during that awake point to be conscious about? setting yourself up for the best night's sleep. I, I I specifically remember as a kid going to bed, like I'm going to think about being a race car driver for like an hour before I go to bed. So I can dream about being a race car driver all night. It never worked, but there have to be some things that I can do throughout my day that, that sets me up for ideal dream state. What are those?
1: Oh, I think you really hit on something actually quite brilliant, and it may be the secret of all secrets to how to program our dreams. We get excited about something, whatever we're passionate about, and we allow ourselves, most most adults, we don't allow ourselves to be passionate. We kind of tamper that down. We're like, oh, no, that's for kids. Let's be rational. Let's be reasonable. But to be excited about something, and think about it in the moments before we go to sleep. That's actually what what is called dream incubation. That's the fancy term for it. I call it setting a dream declaration where you're going to not just dream about that thing, but also remember a dream that's based on that content. Now, the thing like the race car thing, you might not actually become a race car driver, but there's something about being an extreme athlete and being a race car driver and maybe symbolically i mean in in from a dream perspective our body is the car and the fact that you are this incredible ultra athlete it's like you you are a race car driver from a dream perspective you push you race your your vehicle goes beyond where you imagine it could go and you're always pushing the limits there's ambition there's drive you're driven i mean there's there's all of that so who's to say that dream didn't come true. In fact, there's, um, one, there was, there was some scientists that said, this is one of the ways, the best ways to remember a dream. So here's two things. One thing is to program our dreams. I call this dream of to have our dreams, help us manifest what we're working on in our lives, get excited about the thing that we want to create in our lives before we go to sleep. And then of course, be willing to let go and not have it be exactly the way we think, but to know that there's going to be some iteration of that on the other side. But then let's also get excited about even dreaming. And one way to do that is to, when you hear about some of the things that dreams helped to create, for example, in, um, okay, so you, this is a lot of athletes watch and or listen to this show. Um, Jack Nicholas, you've heard of him, the famous golfer. And there was a time before he became famous that he was doing well, but he was not, not exceptional in his field. But he had a dream about changing the way his hand gripped, gripped the golf club. It was very different than the way he naturally did it. So he went out the next day, he was playing golf, and he said, "Oh, let me try that little shift that came to me in my dream." And he golfed so much better. And he credits his dreams for him literally going above and beyond and becoming kind of who he's known for being um, in in our world. So, if you if you think my dreams might be able to help me do better in whatever it is I'm excited about, think about think about that, and also think about I mean, I. This is a shameless plug, but I think for people that want to get excited about dreaming, they can read some of the chicken soup for the soul books that I've written about dreams and premonitions or dreams and the unexplainable, because they're short stories about people that won the lottery based on their dreams or healed an illness that wasn't that they were they were given a death sentence to, or they were able to meet the love of their life, or they were able to achieve some great thing where their dream gave them. Access so the idea that you said Don about getting excited about something before sleep, not so much that you can't sleep, <laughs> but but excited enough where you're like, oh, I can't wait to dream tonight. I can't wait to sleep, and I want to dream on this. Sweet dreams. That's kind of the the best formula.
0: And I think it touches Kelly a lot on this idea that we have talked about and I think about all the time, which is how much latent capacity is in our system. Mm-hmm. You gave some data that would say, Oh my gosh, you have all this latent capacity. So you know, this book yes. called the Crisis of comfort. I don't think you need to read the book. You just need the title of the book. It gives away Ooh. the entirety of, of what <gasps> the issue is.
1: And oh so great title.
0: Yeah, isn't it? It's a pretty good one. I kind of thought of that one. But but when you see <laughs> this sort of one side of the story, which is that, you know, we keep at sort of the stable state the system right it doesn't yep. need much to run right sort of can the heart beats we don't focus on it the heart beats right the blood moves and all this stuff happens that has to happen but that never goes deeper into what your system can do you know when we say oh, we can do more than we think we can or you know we can be more you know like you didn't know you'd write 10 books mm-hmm. and be, you know no one around right. the world. It, it because you had never known how much capability you had, but it is there. I mean, this is, I think, probably the undeniable fact. And, you know, maybe the reason that God laughs when you tell him your plans is because, like, that's it. Like, you could do way more than that.
1: Like, come
0: like, on. Like, get with the program here. Why wouldn't you think bigger?
1: Mm, yeah, I think I think you're touching on something really important. I often think about I think it was Henry David Thoreau who said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I think that desperation, that quiet desperation is what you're talking about where there's that sort of, where we're comfortable enough, we we are living at status quo. And actually that's given our ancestors and all of the, you know, and what's going on in the world, it's pretty awesome to be comfortable. We're pretty lucky. Yeah. And we, and to go beyond that, it's, I mean, on, on some level, I think, you know, sometimes when I hear that little naysayer voice in my head, like, who do you think you are to do more to, you know, isn't one's enough enough? And some part of me thinks I owe it to my ancestors that struggled so hard I'm standing on their shoulders because of all the sacrifices they went through and all that they survived the potato famine. I've got Irish ancestors. I know they struggled. It's like, I want to, I want to do the best I can to honor them, not just trying to show off, not trying to just do more for the sake of it. But I think we owe it to our lineage. We owe it to humanity to do the best we can. And then, we don't just settle for that that space of that quiet desperation hmm. i think that I mean, there's a saying in the bible i'm not a bible thumper but there's a few sayings in there that i really like and there's one that says to the one who much has been given much is expected <laughs> and if we have been given enough to be able to have a conversation like this to be in to have some peers that are that are that have made it their habit to explore the boundaries of what they're capable of we're we're pretty lucky it's a pretty awesome opportunity to be in the vanguard of of what it is to be human physically emotionally mentally spiritually all of these things it's quite incredible. And I think it's okay every once in a while to be comfortable. And Joe, I appreciate it every once in a while on your blog, by the way, I'm a daily reader of your blog and I love it. It always inspires me. And I appreciate how every once in a while you'll say, Hey, how about today? You take a little break. How about today? You acknowledge how far you've come, or how about today? You bake a cake. (laughs) How about you? It's like, Oh, phew, Joe's letting me know. I can, I can chill out a little bit. We need to chill out every once in a while. But I think when we're, I mean, it's funny, the crisis of comfort, the The new book that I've got coming out in January is called A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. The Art of Transforming the Tragic into Magic. So this is kind of a, a departure from dreams. This is not just about dreams, although I do have some dreams, actually nightmares. I'm really focused on the kind of the heavier stuff and how, how if we really look at the stuff, whether it be nightmares, In our nighttime dreams or nightmares in our life if we allow it to and we really look we can we can find gold in them their hills and that can make us stronger it can give us a superpower that we didn't we didn't know was possible so i think we just don't want to stay complacent Mm -hmm. for too long
2: Talk, talk to me a little bit more about that that's that's really interesting how how would one know where to look? right? Like you just say, if you look in the right places, you can, or if you look deep enough, you can, you can find the gold. Where, where where do Mm. we start?
1: Mm. Easily. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is, should I give you guys my, my formula that I use in the book? A crisis is a terrible thing to waste.
0: Please. Yes.
2: And then we will, uh, we will link uh, I'm, is there a pre-order? Let's just get this out of the way. There now, is
1: or... actually, yes. I'm doing a big, my, it's the first time normally when I do a book, um, when I release a book, everything is focused on the launch day right now, everything is about the pre-orders. So I'm giving away all kinds of gifts for people that want want that pre-order my book. It comes out January 17th, but pre-orders are available on Amazon now. And for people that buy one, between 1 to 4 books they there's a there's hundreds of dollars worth of um of gifts videos audio programs that I'm giving away but for people that buy 5 books or more they get put into a special drawing where they can win a retreat in Costa Rica a $3500 hey, oh. retreat yeah so 5 books is about it's less than $100 that puts you into the drawing, and there's not going to be that many people. I mean not I mean, who knows? Maybe there will be a lot of people, but I'm going to do the drawing on Instagram live on um, the day after the book launch. So but, they yep, can go we'll, to my website to Kelly well, Sullivan. We'll add that
2: link. We'll yeah. add that link to the show notes after, so everybody Great. that's listening can just go right and
1: get it ordered. Okay, awesome. All well, right, so yeah, here's here, yeah. so when you're, when you're having a rough time, I mean, whenever we get triggered. Let's just say whenever we get pissed off, hurt feelings, afraid, anything that's less than yay, less than happy or less than okay, that's that's when we do this thing that I call ogle. So ogle is not always a, you know, most people don't think of that as a lovely word, but it's, it's I use it on, on purpose. When one way to not transform our difficulties is to not really look at them is to just kind of say, Oh, that looks awful. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run a marathon. I'm going to stay away from that challenge. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But if you really look, if you ogle your difficulties and you really look kind of develop x-ray vision, you see there's, there's no monster in disguise there. It's just, there's just gold. There's nothing. It's like with any, any pain in your body, Joe, like you talk about, it's really just it's just fear leaving the body or weakness leaving the body if you really look at it. So OGLE is my formula for how to transform a difficult situation. So um, maybe I should use an example from my book. Let me see, um, hmm, what would be a good one? I'm trying to, I'm, I'm gonna just use this one example because this is one that pops into my mind. It's when I was traveling to um, Colombia and my purse got stolen. We had just arrived at the airport and my purse that had my money, my laptop, my passport, my phone, all my identity was in this bag and it was stolen on day one. So I had to spend a month basically without any ID. And, um, and that was really difficult. And I, okay, so, so the O is for what's offensive about the situation. So for anybody watching and or listening, I think most of the people listen to this show, Mm -hmm. even though we get to see each other, which is pretty cool. So anything that's bothering you, if you wanna pause this recording, then do so, and just give yourself an opportunity to write about what's bothering you, what's offending you, what's pissing you off, what's hurting you, where do you feel it in your body? How does it manifest on a, on a scale of one to 10? How offensive is this? Like give yourself permission to indulge in the pissosity, even the victimhood, even the wallowing, even the whining, the why I hate this. They always do this to me. Oh my God, this sucks. How, why me? I mean, when I, my purse was stolen, I was like, I'm here to do good service work. Why would they steal my purse? Oh my God. Like, this is just a kick in the gut. I can't, you know, blah. the blah you've got to get that out there's got to be a place for that we can't just suck it up all the time sometimes we can but when it's big we have to have space to to vent then we move to the g the g does not stand for gagnon although it's kind of it's good like (laughs) the g is for what's good about this so this takes a little bit of skill, because at first blush, the thing that pisses us off or hurts our feelings or scares us does not seem to be a good thing at all. It's so easy to say there's nothing good about this election. There's nothing good about these people that are doing whatever they're doing, January 6th, whatever, all the stuff. There's nothing good. It's easy to do that. But give yourself an opportunity to look what if there was something good, what might there be? Like maybe for example maybe for me when i got my purse stolen one good thing was this doesn't happen to me every day this is offending me because it this is a once this happens every once in a while this isn't the way my life is what's good is that i have a life that this is a rarity okay that's good that's really good and i and i value honesty i value taking care of it and not and honoring other people's property so this calls it it puts into Very drastic contrast what my values are. My values are different than what just happened. It makes me appreciate. I value, I value being able to be respectful of people's belongings. And I value that I have mostly people around me that value mine. So I can start to think, it just starts to kick in some of the dopamine of like coming and the serotonin of what's good about this thing. So make as many, a list of as many things as you possibly can. Then we elevate up. So each one of these steps takes you up another level of difficulty, kind of like the races you guys do. The next level of difficulty is L for looking glass. How do I do that same thing? The looking glass is the mirror. How is this offensive thing something that I've ever done or I might do if I were, if I walked 20 miles in that person's moccasins? So that I imagine the person who stole my purse was desperate. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe their family was hungry. Might if I was ever in that situation, might I steal some what might look like a rich lady's purse? I might. I mean, if I was, but for the grace of God, there go I, I'd like to think I would never do such a thing, but I let a few hours of my life be stolen. I stole those hours of my life being pissed off. Where have I ever stolen something, whether from me or from anybody else or where might I? So it's, it's humbling to look at how might I be that person Whatever bothers you about the political candidate that you don't want to be elected. It's like, how do they represent a part of me that I don't like? So I just want to say one more little thing here about that. My assumption is one of our biggest pains in life. And I don't know that this is 100% true, but this is my assumption. One of our biggest pains is when we feel separate from one another. When we feel different, when we feel other. When I feel like you're different than me, you're other than me, then that is the deeper existential pain. But when I feel like I see a little bit of you in me, and I see a little bit of me in you, even if I'm not happy with what I'm looking at, there's something about being able to all of a sudden say, yep, we're together, like we're connected. We're not in this separate field anymore. We're in a unified field. And then healing starts to kick in when we feel unified with humanity, even if it's a part of humanity that we aren't most proud of. So the healing starts to kick in. And then we move all the way to the E, which is elevate. Now that I know all of this about myself, what is, what is it that I can do? What is in my lane? What can I do to elevate my situation? or my consciousness or make myself better. So one thing that I did when my purse was stolen, I thought okay, well maybe maybe I'm just going to while I'm here, I'm just going to I'm not going to suffer that I don't have a phone to distract me. Maybe I'm going to end up having more quality time with people while that I'm interacting with here in Colombia. Maybe I'm going to look for opportunities to connect now that I'm not I'm not bothered by and embroiled by all this technology that normally is so distracting. And then when I got home and I did get my phone, I bought a new phone and got a new laptop, I've made a concerted effort to turn them off and to not look at them when I'm having quality time with my husband, with my family, with my friends. So I've become more present. That's how I was able to elevate my situation as a result of going through that. So O is for what's offensive, G, what's good about that offensive thing. L is for looking glass. How do I do that same thing? Yikes. Oh, hard to face. And then E for how will I elevate this about myself?
0: Yeah, it's a nice model. Thanks for sharing that. We'll look forward to the book. I know there's a story in there that. I have some connection with
1: you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Should we say? Should I say something about that, Joe? Why didn't I think of that one? Of course. Oh, God. We
0: can hold on that for a second. Actually, one quick comment. You know that piece that you said that when people don't feel like us, we don't relate. Yes. There's yeah. a story that says, you know, an American walking in Paris down the street and sees another American who never met them and said, hey, where should I go to eat? And they would say, oh yeah, I went to this bistro. And you would take that recommendation because they're somewhat like you. without right. a basis, you know, so right. there's a lot of it that is um, just probably innate. The only trap we have to work is beyond, like how do we make sure that we don't end there because that's not the only place we want to be, which is people like us. What one, one One area I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because I think that, you know, a lot of our listeners you know, through whatever they take on as their challenge. You know, it's this journey of, you know, victory and defeat. And so the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, and I know you've studied it a lot and, and talk and think about it, you know, as you both construct, you know, yeah. whether it's a dream interpretation or writing one of your books or Oracle cards or anything, you're always trying to give people something positive, but it doesn't always It's not always positive any any thoughts on you know maybe describe a little bit of joseph campbell's hero's journey just in case others haven't heard of it
1: sure oh yeah thank you for bringing that up and i can't believe i forgot to talk about the story in my book that relates to you oh it's a good one it's It's a good one. we'll talk about that one later another day but um yeah the joseph campbell's hero's journey is has been instrumental to me, and I think actually it really does relate to your what I think your listeners will will appreciate if they don't already know. Um, for people who aren't familiar with Joseph Campbell, he was a professor, a philosopher, an author, um, a storyteller, and he he put one of his books, "Hero with a Thousand Faces," was maybe his most most successful book, and it um, he describes basically having, having studied the myths and fairy tales and stories of all cultures throughout time, throughout history, he was able to amalgamize and see that there's this one story that has, that is in every story, ever, any, anywhere, everywhere. And it's, he calls it the monomyth. It's, it's a, a single myth that goes throughout all these stories And he was able to reduce this down and see that there's 12 stages in this myth that is basically the template for a noble path. And it was so successful that just as an aside, George Lucas, when he was creating Star Wars, he hired Joseph Campbell to consult with him on the script to make sure that Star Wars followed the twelve stages of the hero's journey, and he modified his script according to Joseph Campbell's suggestion, and it hit such a slam dunk home run <laughs> that obviously we it billions and billions, I don't even know record number of of um, ticket sales and it's such a it's such a legend. So, um, so many screenwriting classes now, this is just a a basic part of of how to write a screenplay, not because it's so much about screenplays, but screenplays are meant to be movies that are meant to be seen by people. And there's something about people that resonate with these 12 stages of the hero's journey, because within us is a hero. All of us have it within us, whether we know it or not, whether we're going to do anything famous or not. But the 12 stages can actually even be reduced down even further to four stages. So I'll just talk about the four. And then if there's time, I'll talk, I'll expand it out to the 12. So he says, there's there's always a call to adventure usually that means something that's different or other than what you're already doing in your ordinary life and there's there's all kinds of ref, you know refusing the call needing to get a mentor those are some of the stages but the next main stage is the hero goes out on the quest. So for example, you get an invitation to do a race that you've never heard of, or maybe a race that is beyond what you've done before. Maybe you've been a marathon runner, Joe, and then you're you're invited to do a triathlon or an ultra marathon. It's like, I've never done that before. I'm I'm inspired, but I'm terrified and I can't, I do it. I'm not good enough. Maybe I am, ah, but then you <laughs> you follow the stages and eventually you find yourself on the quest and this is where you're actually doing it and there's all manner of of difficulties of challenges and triumphs along the way and but mostly challenges let's face it it's, it's a lot of pain a lot of challenges and then eventually you come to the reward and the reward is Sometimes it might literally be a be the reward or the award where you where you beat your time. You you learn something about yourself. Often it's not necessarily a physical reward. It's often more of an internal, like I did it. I can't believe I did it. There's a confidence. There's a sense of empowerment. There's a sense of some form of wisdom. I mean, everything in your book, Joe, the high performance life, living the high performance life is is the wisdom that you've accrued through all of the different challenges that you've faced. And so there's that wisdom is the reward. And it doesn't stop there. The The final stage of the hero's journey is the return. Basically the Joseph Campbell said that, that most people think of the end of the story where the hero gets the wisdom, gets the boon as what they call it, but it doesn't. It's not over until you bring it home until you share it with someone until you pass it, pay it forward, give it to somebody else. And it's like you have this great medicine that you've been on the hunt for. You finally found it. It's not just for you. It's for at least one other person, if not your family, your friends, your collective back home. And there's a lot of struggle even bringing it back home. Joseph Campbell says that's one of the hardest stages of the hero's journey because the the journey changes you. When you come back from a race, people are like, how was it? You're like, fine, good. Great. Okay. What's next? Let's go have pizza. It's hard to communicate to the people back home what you just went through. I mean, maybe there's pictures, maybe there's videos, maybe there's some blogs, but it could be a little lonely. Like how do I communicate this? So it's, But it's, it's up to you to figure out a way to at least extract that wisdom so that you have something to give to the people back home. So there's the call, the quest, the reward, and the return. And then there's many, many stages yeah. within.
2: Let me, let me jump in and ask a kind of a personal curiosity question. I'm, I'm on the call with two people that have both written books. Um, so you, you, you just mentioned you know, trying to regurgitate information after you live something, <laughs> uh, right? <Good> and, word. <laughs> um, runners famous for writing race reports, things like that. Uh, how did you guys come about thinking about writing a book and putting what's in your head out into the world, and how did you overcome the the terrifying idea of writing a book? I know most people that like, think about it, it's, it, they don't even get past the point of, that's a good idea, I should write a book. That's as far as yeah. it goes. So what advice would you have to take what's in your brain to tell that story and to start that process of writing the book?
1: I'm going to let Joe answer it first, and then I'll go. Yeah, Kelly's quite
0: accomplished, I think that the hesitation in the beginning for me was this sort of like, yeah, what does anyone want to hear what I have to say? So you have to get over that because actually I think what we've found even doing the podcast is that everyone's story is worth telling and everyone will listen. So that was part one. And then I think once I broke through that, then what I realized was what did I want to know along the way that I didn't, that was such an effort that... It seemed almost disproportionate to get the answer and shouldn't be for everyone. So, in some sense, it was the return that I wanted to work on. And that was my inspiration for it was to spend enough time to see if there was something that would be worth listening to. And and I felt that the other part, and you know, Kelly collaborated with me, you know. It, that relatability is really important, especially when you do something like mine, which was more about me than not, as well as it was about the journey, and could you make something relatable? So the minute you're relatable, people listen, because now they're like, oh, that's just a normal person, or they sound like me, or they had the same struggle. And so it's sort of in its own way, like it mirrored a little bit of Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, which is why, because. Kelly and I talked about it a lot because there is that we really love this story of both struggle and redemption because that's what we live. And so I think that if you can then bring the next level of that insight something that took a lot of effort to get to, if you can abstract out to that, then it's worth writing because I actually said, would I read this? And I think it's a bar that we need to be serious about not just sort of jokingly like, oh yeah, whatever. But I took that and until I felt comfortable with that, it wasn't going to happen. So that was sort of how I worked through it because the there is that initial resistance. Well, yeah, it'd be fun to have a book. Then, oh my God, forget it. And then, well, if you're gonna go do it, then these were my points.
1: Mm. Great. And before I answer the question, per se, I want to just acknowledge that in there's one of the things that I also learned from Joe's blog, there's often stories that you, that you talk about, about being of service to other people and helping other people along the way and what you get from that. Mm-hmm. And when I was um, supporting you, Joe, in writing your book, the high, uh, living, the high performance life, there was a moment, I don't know if you remember, but I was really, because your story is so extraordinary, my fear was that people would just write you off like, okay, he's just extraordinary. I can't relate to him, but I knew some of your backstory and I thought, this makes you relatable. This is gold when you were talking about when you were younger and and some of the difficulties I mean, even the, you know, the, the, the arm wrestle with Gary, like the, there was some things that were, um, one of my writing teachers says the fastest way to write a great book or a great article is to write your humiliation essay. Mm -hmm. The thing we think is the most embarrassing, most horrible thing that we don't want anyone to know about us, write about that. And that's like the straight line to the gold. And this was so meeting with you, but this was before I, I heard Sue Shapiro talk about this. But when you told me some of the stories I was like, "Joe, I all of a sudden not just admire you, but now I love you and now I'm even rooting for you to do more and now I'm with you." But I noticed that I was what's that saying about um the lady doth protest too much that Shakespeare thing because I was like, "Joe, you've got to write about some of these vulnerable stories you've got to." And then I realized later, "Holy crap." I need to write about my friggin' vulnerable stories. Oh no! Oh my god! I'm in the Looking Glass. I'm yelling at you, because I had all, all of my books up until recently have been very much mountaintop books. Like here is my wisdom. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Here's my wisdom, and I'm proud of those books. I love them all. Yeah. I'm I I don't I'm not embarrassed of them at all. I'm ha- I'm proud of them, but I never wrote about the origin about like, how did I get there? And my ego didn't want me to. My ego just wanted to look fabulous and good. I've never had a bad day. I just, this wisdom just kind of came to me and it was so easy and you can do it too. Bye-bye. But I realized so much in talking to you, Joe, how essential it is to write about the vulnerability. So in, in a sense, this book that I've written now, finally, my 10th book, for God's sakes, is... Is really like every story is starts with something horribly embarrassing, or just like, like, uh, where I I just screwed up. I -hmm. mean, almost every Mm -hmm. single story is a humiliation essay, but where there's but I don't stop at the humiliation, I go until I find the wisdom that I wouldn't trade for anything. And I think that's an important piece. But so sort of to answer your question, I think there's good books, and there's better books. And I think the better books tell the whole story, the like behind the scenes. How did you get there? What were the vulnerabilities and the the difficulties? And then how did you how did you rise above those things? And then you've got all of those things. And I don't know. I I think I can. I need to give credit to Julia Cameron. She's a, the author of a book called The Artist's Way. I know there's a lot of authors out there that give her credit for their books. I she one of her um core tenants is writing this these things called morning pages. It's journaling three three stream of consciousness pages in a journal every day that aren't supposed to be good, aren't supposed to be great, just blah blah blah, but just getting the blah blah blahs out out of nowhere something usually appears by at least page 3 in the last line there's some like ooh hey that's interesting maybe i'll write more about that and so it's like one easy way of getting in. That's one getting in place. I've been a, a lifetime journaler. So I it's been my therapy. So I think sometimes we do it for ourselves. I don't think like you just asked Don about like the fear of getting it out there and what will people think? I for me that that's a stage that you get to way at the end. I mm-hmm. don't think I I think about Julia Cameron said, you can't make something great. With one eye on what you're making and one eye on the audience. You have to just put both of your eyes on the thing that you're doing. And then at some point you become aware, oh, other people might see this or read this or know about this. So I'll polish it up and edit it to make it as presentable as possible. But stage one is just let me do this for me. I think at least I know that's how it was for me. This is my own self-therapy, the best therapy I've ever done for myself. And then And then I share it with a few very safe people. And if they say, oh my God, you've got something here, keep going. Then, then I keep going. And eventually one page turns into two and eventually that becomes 400 (laughs) and then it becomes a book.
0: (laughs) It's funny, you know, I was on stage this summer doing a presentation at some about mindset. And at one point I mentioned, you know, I didn't have any dates when I was in high school and I was never invited to a party. And you know, afterwards, we're wandering around, the whole thing's over, and so many guys came up to me and said, I never did either. Oh. And they were just, like, so excited to tell me, because it's something no one's really that proud of, and you would have liked something else, but by admitting it, and, you know, especially if you're in a position of somewhat importance or otherwise, then it's like, oh, wow, like, hey, that's me, too. Yeah. Yes.
1: And it invites that vulnerability. I mean, cause there's different levels of relating. There's the, Hey, I admire you. You're awesome. You're a superstar, but that, and that's cool. But to be able to admire you and also relate to you and also feel like, wow, I'm not such an oddball. I, I, I can relate to this guy and he, ah, oh, then that is so, that is like, I think that is the true elixir. Mm. that is the real gift. And that's what is, I think, incumbent upon us to do. So now, and I can credit you, Joe, it was like, there was that day that I was yelling at you. And then I had to say, what the lady doth protest too much. So I feel like I've become a better writer. Mm. Thanks to, thanks to being in your sphere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
0: Funny. So, you know, one of the other parts of life that Don and I practice a lot is this and it's almost hackneyed now. So I don't feel bad because it was a unique which was being comfortable while you're uncomfortable. Yeah. And and so hackneyed only in that it's not like a unique thought anymore, but it's a very powerful concept. Oh yeah. Right. And that it's not hackneyed you know, at all. Right. It's just like, oh, it's not the first person who said it. So you don't have to like and so as you, you know, because, you know, you sort of, you sped through a little bit of, you know, your upbringing, Kelly wasn't born into, you know, like um, the Blue Bloods and the the, no. Dom- the ambassador. And so you had to fight <laughs> hard. So you, yeah. a lot of times for all your success have been uncomfortable, but learning how to perform then, right? And you know, we get you on a radio show and you all you're like, people are like, wow, I wish I could be like her. Mm. Uh, but not always mm. the case, right? So do you do anything like that, that, you know, sort of makes you into that sort of discomfort? And how does that work?
1: Whoa, wow, Joe, I don't think anybody has ever asked me that question. So thank you for scrambling my brain. And I i really, I don't know. I think let me see if I can try to make sense. Um I think that we're all given a combination of challenges and blessings and I have and I definitely have mine. I mean I I'll just say I was I have a new book that I'm working on. Not not that's beyond crisis is a terrible thing to waste it's a it's a memoir really about like the darkest darkest year of my life. And in that, I talk more, more in depth about kind of some of the more difficult aspects of, of my life. Um, So I go, I keep going darker and deeper, but I feel like the gold keeps getting richer and richer. But there was, I mean, the kids in school, they were cruel to you. They were cruel to me. I, I was before I ever kissed a boy, I was a slut and a whore and a bitch. And I didn't even know what those words meant. I had to ask my mom, what's a whore? What's a slut? And And so there was like, oh my God, all these people think this about me. What did I do? How did, and there was this automatic defense mechanism that I didn't pick, but it picked me and it was this mask of, I don't care. I don't like, who are you? Like, what's your, it was sarcastic. It was like, oh, really? There's five big eighth graders picking on one little sixth grader. How lame are you? And I'd get to the bathroom, I'd close the the stall door, I'd sit on the toilet and just shake and cry, but I wouldn't let them see it. So I think there's stages. I think there's the Mm -hmm. shock of when shit happens that we don't expect or that we don't see coming. That's like stage one. Stage two is this automatic resilience that we have, and we all have some way of coping and some of us it some of it is to cry some of it is to run some of it is to get tough some of it is to be really smart mine was to just be sarcastic and act like i didn't care but then later this this persona became what i what i call as the ice queen i was called the ice queen by boyfriends by friends like you don't feel anything kelly like i got so good at not giving a shit that i was icy mm. and that wasn't good and that led to its own problems so then the next so there's sort of like the mastery of the mask there's the mask and then there's getting really good at that mask and then the mask stops friggin' working and then there's this humble moment of now what do I do I can't go back to that innocence because look where that got me and I can't do this mask anymore because that doesn't work then I think there's this this humble moment of like falling on your knees at least for me and saying higher power god whatever you are if you're there i need you now and if you don't show up it's not going to be pretty and i think that's that's like a moment of grace at least for me that's what i notice and i think that's i think it's sort of universal at our darkest moment where we're kind of we don't have anywhere else to go there's it's kind of a blessing in disguise because our tricks don't work anymore And then we have to lean on something. It's kind of like that Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones moment where he has no choice, but step out on that invisible bridge. It's terrifying, but you step out on that invisible bridge and there's some kind of grace, some kind of a higher power that carries you. So to me, I've become, I mean, my spiritual path has become really important to me because I feel like that, that's my invisible bridge that keeps, that keeps me going and it informs me and it's it's very much tie- circling back to dreams dreams are are part of that invisible bridge because it's it's not logical to step out it's not logical to write books it's not logical to expose your frailties it's not logical to go beyond what your physical body can do to have broken bones and blisters and keep going it's not logical to do these things but there's something bigger that calls us or calls me calls you guys and we get in the habit We're human beings are habit makers. So I just, I feel like I've just simply let that higher energy pull me. And, and I feel like it hasn't let me down and it becomes actually a life where there's a lot of grace and a lot of joy. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything at this wow. point.
2: Wow. Leave it, leave to Joe to ask the, the, the heavy, <laughs> deep question that we could probably take another two hours and explore right at the end of an hour. <laughs>
1: Wow, thank you. I didn't know any of that before I said it, but thank you.
2: (laughs) I'm going to ask the the heavy questions. I'm going to ask maybe more of a softball question at this point. Um, Oh, good. You've written nine books. Your 10th is to come. Where would I start? I've admittedly haven't yet read anything from you. Where's my launching point to uh, Mm. your collection of books? And uh, where do I start?
1: Oh, you're awesome. Thank you so much, Dawn. I think given this conversation, I would start with my Hero's Journey Dream Oracle cards because it's um I think it's it's great for men and women. A lot of my stuff, that I have a lot of women um, that read my stuff, but at the Hero's Journey, a lot of men love it. It's the Hero's Journey Dream Oracle. And it's something that you can pull a card every day and then read in the guidebook and get kind of a nudge for your Hero's Journey. But then I would go, like, if you really want to get, Get um, um, develop a deeper relationship with your dreams. I might start with one of the chicken soup for the soul books, um, either dreams and premonitions or dreams and the unexplainable. Either one of those, they're filled with, it's 101 stories in each book um, that have been highly curated. Each story is really inspirational about, and it kind of gives you the incentive to want to remember your dreams and then i would follow that up with my book it's all in your dreams and that book is more about okay now that you've remembered a dream this is what you can do with it this is my that book it's all in your dreams contains my kind of my template for how to work with dreams and um i've got a book called luminous humanness that came out last year that is more of a meditation book something for you to read in the day, like just as a positive thought, similar to Joe's kind of a thought for the day. That's that's um, kind of an inspiring kind of a thing. And then, um, I mean, that's kind of where I would go. There's, there's you know, all the other books in between. Um, I'm looking at my shelf right now. I've got, <laughs> oh, let me see. I think, nice I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of dream dictionaries. I've got one called the Love, Sex, and Relationship Dream Dictionary. A lot of people that are really focused on relationship issues, that's like their main thing. That's a book that they call on. Um, And then I've got a couple of Oracle decks, other smaller Oracle decks. Um, The Dream Oracle deck, just plain old Dream Oracle deck. That's actually a really good one too. I've got Dream Goddess and um, the Awakened Dreamer Oracle deck. But mostly, I think I would go right for um, a crisis. is a terrible thing to waste because that's kind of, I think yeah. it's a little more entertaining and also inspiring. My publisher said when I when I was in an interview, she heard I was talking about how each story is really humiliating. It's like, here's my dirty laundry, everybody. And she said, Kelly, yeah, every story is filled with miracles. There's miracles in every story. I'm like, oh, you're right. It's not just here's a bunch of humiliation. It's also, it's like humiliation to miracles, mud to the mountaintop.
0: The humiliation would sort of invalidate all the goodness that goes into what we do. I mean, you know, Don, when he takes on these big, hard races, he can run into some issues that, you know, whether he's control or doesn't have control, he doesn't know why his stomach might get upset or, you know, why his leg might not feel good. And I think that it's, it's one of the things we should work on in our lives, which is, mm-hmm. I know it's somewhat nuanced when you say, well, you know, the journey is the key and outcomes don't really matter. I know outcomes matter. I know that. But we should also enjoy the journey and the learning and the reasons sometimes matter and sometimes they don't, you know, because could be teaching or maybe that's just how it worked out. So,
1: yeah, I want to, I think there's something about, You know, I mean, I've said the word humiliation probably more times than I've ever said in an in an interview before. But I kind of want to. I sort of am doing it on purpose because I'm. I think there's something about the more often we are at peace with what's so embarrassing or what is what would have been shameful, and we when we can own it, then it stops having power over us. And then, just like you said when you spoke, and people said, "Oh yeah, I didn't have a date in high school either." It's like it's it stops being this monster in the closet Mm -hmm. and it becomes our friend and it becomes our ally and it becomes in some way then our superpower. And if we can do that, then, and anything that scares us, anything that limits us, we can look at it with that lens. Then it stops limiting us. It stops scaring us and it stops separating us from each other. And I think that's a really important step to take if we want to become the the 2.0 or 5.0 version of ourselves. It really is about having a strategy for how to deal with these things that ordinarily would be like an electric fence that would have a stop or back off. But when we dismantle this, then we can just keep on going.
0: I often think like, you know, this is a simple example, but you go down the road and you make the wrong turn and you have to go back and start over. I just, all right, take two. You know, like in a movie, yeah. take two it's a cool thing. Like, okay, we're just gonna take it again. Like don't
1: take two and action.
0: dramatic. just take two. All right, take three. like it's just it's just okay, right? It's just okay,
1: yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's like that those stories about um that how they they train elephants in the circus when they're little, they they um they make them stay. What do they do? They put these weights around their ankle or something and so that they don't move and then they get big. And they remove those, those weights and, but the the elephant could go anywhere, but they're just trained to stay in this little circle or to do when really they could stomp all over everybody. And we've just been indoctrinated. Don't go beyond this spot. If you go beyond this spot, you're going to die. Something bad's going to happen. And we're just kind of figuring out different ways to dismantle that and say, really, let me see what happens if I tip to, Ooh, I'm still breathing. Ooh, the world is still spinning. Hey, holy God, what they told me isn't true. Wow.
0: What did they know anyway? Don's going to go do a couple of those crazy (laughs) things coming up here soon. So we'll we'll have to stay tuned on that. I can't wait to hear. You've been very generous with your time. I think we have a couple, we have many topics we haven't barely even touched the surface on. I think we're going to have to get you on a couple more times to, if you could tolerate us to share Absolutely. Uh, more of these oh, yeah. and thoughts and ideas, um, you know, with our audience, you know, so we always end on this question. You know, when I was thinking of naming the podcast, I was, you know, when they're on stage, by the way, I always ended being on stage was, you know, come chase tomorrow with me. And I always feel like once I say that I feel so energized. And so mm. what you're chasing tomorrow? What's next for you?
1: Oh God, it isn't, it is inspiring. And yes, you can have me on as often as you want. I am so happy to be with you guys. This is the time has flown. Um, well, first of all, when you say chasing tomorrow, I, it, makes me think of one of my favorite quotes from Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith. He says, pain pushes until inspiration pulls. Mm -hmm. And when I think about chasing tomorrow, I think about being pulled by tomorrow, being like having being so inspired. So what am I chasing? What's next? Wow. I mean, there's a, there's a handful of things. I mean, this new book launch, this that's coming up in January. I've got trips. I'm taking people to Costa Rica next June. I'm also taking people to Peru. I've got a group coming. I'm excited. I'm chasing that. I've got a group and there's a couple spaces left. I don't know when this will air, but it's in November. I'm taking people on a sacred journey to Peru, Machu Picchu. Um, But gosh, I I think I am. I'm out there in the middle of this invisible bridge, and I am. I'm writing. I'm writing a new book, you know. Of course, and I. I feel like I'm just allowing myself to be filled up with whatever comes next. And I. I do. I feel like there's going to be more service involved. So, Joe, I think you and I are going to be circling back, and and Dawn, you too, about about ways to be able to make a bigger impact. And I, I'm feeling the newness of something like a, a new project beckoning in that way. But I feel mm-hmm. like I, my best way is to not tell God my plans, but to, but to be a good listener and take notes. And then once something starts to become clear, I'll follow it. So I'm very much attuned to what inspires me. And I trust that. And I listen to that. And by hanging out with people like you guys, I feel like my antenna gets stronger and louder and clearer. So I don't know if I'm exactly answering your question, but but that's what comes well, up for me. That's awesome.
2: Those are those are great answers for sure.
1: Thank you. Mm. Thank well, you so I, much for having me on, you guys. Yeah, this, has been this is so fun. I know, this is your I know, first show, Don. Yeah, this is this is
2: my first official interview. Welcome. Um, gosh, what <laughs> you've it, done
1: great. You Yay. have set the
2: bar oh, so high. Um, and I know you and Joe go way back and this was just so amazing for me to to get to know you and to have this interview. And I have i have two pages of notes that I have taken for myself personally, not Aww. even just for show notes, just for myself. Um, so I, I got something out of this and I hope everybody listening to this got uh, just as much because this was just absolutely incredible.
0: Thank you so much. Kelly, Thank you. big hug. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. And um, can't wait to read your book. We'll talk. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys chasing tomorrow.
2: Woo. Wow, Joe, what an interview with Kelly. That was quite the way to kick off my first interview here on the chasing tomorrow podcast. We have so many more amazing interviews lined up. Thank you all so much for coming along on this journey with us. If you have a chance, give us a rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. And thank you so much for chasing tomorrow with us until next week.